Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source with co-hostess Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. Listeners tune in to find out how our community is adapting to living in the new normal. This week, we are chatting with Senator Ron Wyden, Oregon's senior U.S. Senator, a seat he's held since 1996. He served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1981 to 1996 for Oregon's third congressional district, which includes most of Portland, and he never dropped below 70% of the vote. While serving in the House, he played a major role in the passage of Section 230 in the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which has become a hot-button topic in Washington right now. This gives platforms the immunity from what their users post while simultaneously allowing them to moderate whatever they want. Currently, he's serving as the chair to the Senate Finance Committee, which makes him one of the most influential elected leaders in the Senate. He also deserves a great deal of the credit for delivering the extra $600 a week unemployment insurance benefit to Americans who are out of work due to the pandemic. Senator, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you entered politics at a really young age. You were serving as a U.S. representative at 31. I had a full head of hair and rugged good luck. <laughs> you, you still look good. Uh, you've been in Washington now for 40 years, and uh, I'm just curious about the driving force behind your dedication to the process at this point. Where do you I, find the energy? I, I never expected anything like this. You know, what I wanted to do was to play in the NBA. Went to school on a scholarship. It's pretty ridiculous I was going to be in the NBA because at six foot four, I was too small, and I made up for it by being really slow. <laughs> so I wasn't going to get to play in the NBA. Finally, I left Cal Santa Barbara where I had the scholarship, transferred to Stanford, finally started studying, came to Oregon in 1971 and said, I'm never going to leave. This is as good <laughs> as it gets. And I got involved working with senior citizens, formed the Great Panthers, ran the legal aid office for the elderly. And the senior said, well, you should run. I said, I never run for anything. So I was elected, Oregon's youngest person apparently ever. And I was just about ready to do something else. And then Bob Packwood resigned. And I had a chance to be Oregon's first new senator in more than 30 years. And I was particularly interested in shaping a transition so that we made it clear. And I said this at the time, we've always been about wood products and I'll always fight for those wood products jobs. I also want to get us into some other things. And that's what led to my writing late in my house career, but mostly in my Senate career. The laws that people basically say led the foundation for the internet. There's actually a book, the 26 words that created the internet. That's 2.30. And now all across the state, you've got a lot of particularly in the metropolitan areas, more high skill high wage jobs in a new field you didn't have back then, technology. So now that you're chair of the Senate Finance Committee, what are some of your top goals for the coming years? Well, the, the first will be hugely important to Central Oregon, renewable energy, wind, solar, wave, biomass, the list kind of goes on and on. Central Oregon, rural Oregon, geothermal. Uh, there are 44 separate tax breaks for energy on the federal books today. 
And when I get to be officially the chair, I'm gonna basically say, lights out on that. Because mostly they're kind of monuments to yesteryear. Somebody powerful put something in. So I'm gonna say the 44 are out and I'm gonna have three, one for clean energy, one for clean transportation fuel and one for energy efficiency. And I'm saying to my Republican colleagues, hey guys, you want fewer subsidies? I'll help you get more green for less green from everybody's wallet. And a kind of compliment to this is my 21st Century Civilian Conservation Act to put thousands of people to work in the woods. And I actually talked to Jennifer Granholm, the new nominee for the energy department about how energy plays a role in climate change. They do cutting edge research. They could, for example, help programs like Firewise uh, be a tool that those young people could use to make sure that, for example, an elderly woman's place next to one of the uh, forests was as safe as possible. Ron, you've always had a big conservation uh, base to your politics and all the talk about the new Green Deal that went on under Trump, it seemed like that really wasn't going to move forward. Um, but now with this change of policy, do you feel a sense of, I mean, the whole country's going through a bigger sense of optimism, but you know, you've been there for uh, 40 years. How, do you, are you feeling that surge now or does it feel like business as usual and it just get to work? It is a great surge, but what's different now is that it comes after four years that on so many issues took our country in the wrong direction, needlessly polarized us, caused around the country for people to say, was the president of the United States really holding people up to ridicule? You might remember the day that he mocked the journalists. Sure. So um, when we saw Joe Biden being sworn in, I'll tell you a little quick little thing. So my wife and I were sitting, Garth Brooks, of course, performed. Everybody loves Garth Brooks. <laughs> he came off the podium and Barack Obama, we're very decent, holds out his hand, shake Garth Brooks' hand. Garth Brooks throws his arms around Barack Obama. <laughs> and George W. Bush, who I disagreed with on plenty of stuff, wore sure. all kinds of things. He sees Obama getting hugged by Garth Brooks and he kind of goes, hey, over here, where's the love? <laughs> and so right. George W. gets a hug. And look, these are all kind of little small kind of vignettes about this. But I think the country really wanted to turn the page. Now, having said that, George, uh, uh, Donald Trump got over 70 million votes. So there's a lot to be done, particularly to address some of the economic despair that um, was a factor in all of this. But I do think that apropos of your saying, you know, how does it feel having seen other administrations? 
this was very different, this well, inauguration. I loved it when, when uh, Joe Biden said, I'm gonna work my head off or something like this for the people who voted for me and do exactly the same thing for the people who didn't. And there were a lot of Americans said, about time. I know that there's, a, you know, there's always when the when conservatives lose, they're gonna they're gonna be upset. But in in the just the, the communication that I've had with a lot of conservatives in our reporting, even even though they may not be saying it in public, there is this sense of relief that there's somewhat of a return to business as normal. <clears throat> While they might not be saying the same enthusiasm as Democrats. Do you get that sense? I mean, are you having that same kind of across the aisle communication where there's a little bit of a wink, like, yeah, let's let's do some things. Let's get something done. I hope that that will be the case. I mean, Mitch McConnell, when Barack Obama came in, Mitch McConnell said, my number one priority is to keep Barack Obama from getting a second term. I really hope that that won't yeah. be the case with Joe Biden, where, as you know, working on the budget package. A lot of it goes to the finance committee, the checks and unemployment and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's gonna be a heavy lift. As you know, some of the senior Republicans said they don't like the package. I've tried to work with all of the moderates. You know, they said they wanted uh, some of the benefits more targeted, happy to do that. But look at the jobs numbers from yesterday. Another big hit Yeah, and the federal uh, analysts said last year was the worst economic year since World War II. Yeah, I'm saying we're seeing the same thing. Obviously, Central Oregon's being hit pretty hard by all this. And uh, we're glad we have somebody on the Senate Finance Committee. That's a, that's a bright, bright spot. Ron, if I could just change um, one of the things that, that hasn't been talked about, but I know, especially in Oregon, where we're a um, marijuana legal state, do you see any movement and will you have any role in uh, a national plan to legalize cannabis? Yeah, the finance committee, obviously, because taxes are such an important uh, uh, part of it, we really are the lead committee. So my uh, agenda is end the prohibition and come up with sensible tax and regulatory oversight at the federal level. This is a framework that I've championed and I'll be championing as a chairman. You do that, you take care of the banking question, you take care of the tax question, you take care of the research issue and this whole array of issues that have been gridlocked because the federal government on cannabis has been tethered to yesteryear. Sure. That has been the central uh, problem. And it's not enough in my view to just end cannabis prohibition. I think we need to restore the lives of people who've been hurt most by the failed war on drugs and especially black Americans. So I think there ought to be expungement of marijuana convict, con convictions, reinvest in communities, job training, re-entry services, community centers, uh, access to capital. And I'm strategizing now on the next steps. We need comprehensive reform and you need legislation to do it. Do you, do you anticipate, I mean, given how much progress has been made at the state level while the federal government has kind of sat idle, do you anticipate that there's much resistance to 
moving legislation at the federal level? Certainly the fact that millions of Americans have voted for at least some of what I just described to you sure. means that we're in a position to move at the federal level. I do think that this kind of crazy quilt, particularly as it relates to regulation and um, the financial aspects, particularly um, nationwide uh, considerations, you really need some kind of bedrock federal rules on one, ending the prohibition, two, sensible tax policies, and three, sensible regulatory oversight. So let's circle back and talk about 230. Um, it's the legislation that you created that allows social media companies to operate as telecommunications firms. And it was recently a hot topic as um, Trump attempted to block the PPP funds for to try to have it removed. Um, and there's also criticism on the left that it gives social media companies too much power. So I'm you know, I'm interested if, you know, if you could talk about why you're so committed to it and um, if there's any room for um, revising it in the future. Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, Donald Trump, I don't think would know 230 if it hit him in the head. I mean, what Donald Trump was trying to do in this kind of blunderbuss kind of way is he was trying to bully Twitter into printing his lies on something Oregonians care a lot about, which is vote by mail. So let's just kind of make sure we understand what we're talking about with Donald Trump. For me, this was always a fight about creating opportunity for the little guy. And I will tell you that was the fight when Congressman Cox and I authored the bill one Republican, one Democrat. It's still the fight. I'll give you an example. Uh, you may have seen a lot of social justice groups just in the last few days put out an open letter saying you ought to be careful about what you do with 230. I'll give you a real example. A lot of very knowledgeable lawyers have come to us and said they don't think that the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter would have been able to get so much traction online without something along the lines of 230, some measure of protection, some ability to, you know, to moderate. And, you know, Trump and some of the far right people say, oh, big win for big tech. I think if you take a look at the record, nobody has been tougher on the big tech people than me. Um, my privacy bill called the Subtle Mind Your Own Business Act says that if the big tech companies lie to the federal government, like the FTC or someone like that, and people are injured, not only can the executives be held personally liable, they can face jail time. Let me repeat that. I'm treating this as so serious, wrecking somebody's life by violating their privacy. They'd face jail time. 
So this business that somehow people who care about 230 are just carrying water for you know big tech. Take a look at my record. There is nobody currently in the House and the Senate who has been as tough as I have been on big tech. Okay, so start with that. Now, here's what the issue is all about. Laurel, by the time I'm done, she's gonna say, why in hell did I ask Ron about this? <laughs> this is what we were hoping for, Ron. We need, we need this explained to people. For the most part, people are not mad about 230. Their real anger is the First Amendment. So if I was run over by a bus and 230 disappeared, a lot of people say the only reason it's staying there is because, you know, Ron's making this case. If I'm run over by a bus, 230 disappears. Everything that you're seeing online continues because of the First Amendment. Every single bit of it. And that is because 98% of the speech in America is protected under the First Amendment. Now, I don't see any of these people who are saying 230 is a problem, saying they want to get rid of the First Amendment. But we're going to have a real discussion about it. You guys ask, am I open you know, to, <laughs> to things? Absolutely. I mean, just because you wrote a law a while back doesn't mean that's that. But here's my test. I've got two-part test. One, does the proposal continue to protect constitutionally protected speech? And two, does it harm moderation, which was the second part of my bill, which doesn't get much press, which is that the platform's website, um, they can basically force people to take off the slime and the, the violence and the hate and all that kind of stuff. So I think we can uh, act in the area of the state doing uh, more to enforce laws. The law wanted them to do that, but I think we can do more. I'm very concerned about um, these issues cropping up with respect to civil rights violations online. Given the fact that Trump was talking so much, I mean, it really just it was the most, the kindest thing you can say was misrepresentative. I mean, it was pretty much nonsense. And we didn't even have a debate in the Congress whether the civil rights issue, housing and things like that, is a question of whether the law needs to be strengthened or whether we need to have the Justice Department do more. So state enforcement, civil rights laws, um, what else? Um, obviously, we need to give the resources to the Federal Trade Commission to do more in terms of watchdogging online activity. But the two-part test, does it harm constitutionally protected speech and does it hurt moderation? So far, there's not a proposal out there that doesn't do one or both. Hey, Ron, we're unfortunately running out of time. I'd like to ask you one more thing. Um, <clears throat> Vote by mail, Oregon's vote by mail became the champion for the nation. You know, Kate couldn't have been better positioned and, uh, you know, it was awesome to see. What can, uh, what can the rest of the states and what can you do to help uh, make that thing standard operating procedure? So as the nation's first mail-in United States Senator, I've basically been introducing <laughs> the idea of taking Oregon's approach national for years and years 
And people were coming up to me this fall and they would say, Ron, your bill is becoming law even before you get your bill passed because <laughs> all these states in the middle of a pandemic felt they had to go to vote by mail. So uh, I'm very pleased about what uh, Congressman Blumenauer and I have got teed up. And also one thing for Oregon, which of course we're the pioneers, I wanna get additional resources out to the local jurisdictions for post-election audits, which they feel very strongly about. And I wanna listen to all our county folks and you know, the clerks and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I mean, Carson Blumenauer and I are gonna really you know, mobilize here. And part of the argument we'll use is just be careful about the hypocrisy that may come close to your own living room because Donald Trump was always talking about, oh my goodness, oh, vote by mail, so terrible, horrible. But he and all his cabinet voted by mail. Okay, I've got a closing address. As a journalist kid, I'm really proud to see uh, folks like you doing really issue-oriented journalism. So keep it up, and that's my closing address. Ron, I really appreciate it. Thank appreciate you. you taking the time, and uh, yeah, keep we on going think, on. Let's do it again. Thanks. Alrighty. Thanks, Thanks Ron. Thank you.